look for the frequency on the back of the CD case. It's This Game Where Podcast with me, Chris, and... Ashley! Hello! What does that mean, please? It's a reference to the game we're doing today. Oh, I know what it is. It's Metal Gear Solid. Hey! For goodness sake. Did you get it from that? (laughs) Yes, I forgot about it. But then I remembered. So, right. Yeah. There we go. Metal. It's this game where you sneak I, around as right. an old middle-aged man. Well, he's not actually in Metal Gear Solid, is he? No, you've ruined it. How have I ruined it? I'd do it anyway. Do it all anyway. Right. But everybody's going to have got it from that year, idiot. Really? I, I thought that was quite a yeah. niche reference. Niche thing? Well, no, because everybody knows that there's like those moments in the game where it breaks the fourth wall. So Yeah. Well, that's that. hold your horses. This week, we're playing this game where you play as a character named after Kurt Russell's Escape from New York character. It's a game that often breaks the fourth wall and it's tactical espionage action. What could the game be? Do you know what? I've forgotten. I've forgotten what it is. Oh, no. Curse that short-term what? memory of yours. What is it? It's Metal Gear Solid. Ah, right. Yeah, okay. on, the, on the PlayStation Play- PlayStation 1. Mm. We did that together. Well done. Good, good. good stuff. Good as good as well done as. Not good as. Yeah, that's a good solid. Yeah. So you thought nobody knew about the frequency thing on the back of the CD it, case? It's not that I thought nobody knew it. I just thought it was it was quite... Uh, actually, the more I think about it, the, as soon as you say that, it, it's so um, in tone with the rest of the game. It's so memorable that actually, as soon as I said that, it's going to trigger everyone, isn't it? Yeah. So not um, trigger everyone, but trigger their memories. Oh yeah, not trigger in a bad way. Um, I'm I'm sorry for that. Then I've I've spoiled everything, haven't I? Nah, they already know. You've pointed this out to me before. This is just for us, really. This guessing game because everybody that's listening knows what it is already, don't they? And I told you it was a PlayStation One stealth game. Did you? Did you? Out? Yeah. I don't remember you telling me that. So genuinely um, didn't. Yeah, I said that to you, and then instantly regretted it because I thought, well, it's not that many of those. So uh, I thought you guessed from that. Anyway, Metal Gear Solid. Uh, Metal Gear Solid, a game that released on se- a game that released. I'm looking in- at Brazilian restaurants uh, still, so just bear that in mind when you're All talking. Right. If I, I might have to ask you, just well, what are you saying? Just again? for context, for listening, Ashley and I are having a jaunt out uh, next week, and Ashley's planning what food we're going to have, and apparently a Brazilian restaurant. So that should be nice. Metal Gear Solid well, released may- maybe in- or maybe not. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. You never know. Released in September 1998 in Japan on the PlayStation 1. It then came to America in October and Europe was February 1999, a few months after the rest of the world. It also yep. came out on the PC in late 2000, which I wasn't aware of. No, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Had a few... Physically? On yeah. the PC? Yeah, yeah. And it had a few oh. nip- nips and tweaks. Is that the right phrase? <sighs> nips and tucks. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, nips and tucks. Not nips and tweaks. I think you've got. I, that sounds like you've got nipples on the brain. Nips and tweaks. <laughs> it really does to me. Doesn't but it? yeah, oh, dear me. So, yeah, it had some a few, Freud uh, slipping in there. Had a few uh, changes to it for the place uh, for the from the PlayStation version for the PC. But uh, yeah, and then also there was a version released on the Game Boy Color, also called Metal Gear Solid, but it was a different game within the series, which is very confusing. I've played that one. Is it good? There you go. I've played them both. Um, it's pretty good for a Game Boy Color game. Game Boy Color games in general did a good job of translating without mm. trying to mimic a lot of the time. And I seem to remember, I didn't spend much time with it, but I seem to remember that they did a pretty good job of, uh, of building something portable and Metal Geary. There were some quite good games on the Game Boy Color, now you've mentioned that, the ones that genuinely yeah. were quite impressive for what they could pull. There was, I think it was one of the ones that was cancelled. It was in that the games that weren't game. A, a Resident Evil that was ported for the Game Boy Color, and and the screenshots that I've seen of it, it, it looks quite impressive. Yeah, so I've always I always gush about the Game Boy Advance, and uh, for good reason. At the same time, uh, the Game Boy Color was already paving the way mm. uh, for what happened with the Game Boy Advance. So, yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me if there were some major fans of uh, of Metal Gear Solid on the Game Boy Color. Before I start talking about my experience with the game, obviously it's my, my episode this week, I didn't think you were that keen on Metal Gear Solid. What's your relationship with it? I am not that keen on Metal Gear Solid, so yeah, you're right. Right, okay. I thought it was to the extent that you've not played it. Is it that you haven't played it, or do you just know that reference? Oh no, I've play- I have played it. I've played it multiple times with multiple people, usually as like co-pilot or whatever uh, for the game. Um, 
or spectator sometimes. But I, I have also played through it. Never on my own. Let me just say that. Never on my own. Always with somebody. Why have you ever played it by yourself? Just not... But well, because I, I, I was never struck by it. So why would I have ever gone out of my way to play it? It didn't stop me, though, buying Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 3 twice on two different consoles, and Metal Gear Solid 4. So I really tried, really, really tried. <laughs> you persevered. Yeah, I did. The uh, the I think it's Metal Gear Solid 3 where you uh, can put on khaki and whatever you can camouflage yourself backgrounds you're on yes yeah and i really like the idea of that i think i've got that one on the uh game cube i think i'd have to double check upstairs uh but yeah i like i say i really really tried really tried well i thought metal gear side 3 was dog shit so there you go Mm, well there you go so did i (laughs) yep we agree however however the first one amazing um Mm. a friend we might not agree a friend brought it over to mine to play it in 2000, I think. And it's a friend who was absolutely obsessed with it, would not stop talking about it. And so he said, can I bring it over? Yeah, sure. I didn't think I was going to be particularly keen on it. A bit like StarCraft a couple of weeks ago. I was absolutely hooked with it. And I managed to persuade him to let me borrow it for a long time, to the extent where I completed it twice. And then, How did you do that, Chris? As do what? Persuade him. Asked him nicely and he said, yeah. Oh. I don't, okay. I don't know cool. if you're intimating anything seedy in that. No, it was just, just that. Just a, a, no, a nice, I, I wasn't. A nice young boy. I don't really lend or borrow, or I try not to anyway. No. So. No, I don't uh, much. I don't, someone once lent me the South Park movie on video, and then he accused me of, of leaving it on a radiator because when I gave it back to him, the case was a bit melted, and I categorically did not leave it on a radiator. I don't know how the case melted, but... I borrowed a PlayStation 3 game off somebody uh, that we worked with. It was the first time I borrowed anything in a long time and um, realized at almost 10 years later that I still have it. Oh. So if that person is listening, just drop me a message on any of the social medias and I will send it back to you. Yeah, there you go. You can have, you can have your own game back. I suspect if that person... I don't know where you live. I suspect that person hasn't missed the game for 10 years. They're, they're, they're probably okay. I imagine that they just haven't ever... They definitely would have missed it because it was a game that they talked about a lot. Oh, okay. And really liked. Well, you know what they say, never a borrower or a lender be. Yep. That's for what they say. For a good reason. Mm. So I ended up buying it myself in the Platinum range for, I think, £20 because that's what PlayStation Platinum games generally went for, £20. And mm. uh, I completed it multiple times after that. Well true story yep <laughs> that I, nothing to say to that i own five playstation games playstation one games i didn't own a playstation one but i own five playstation games and three of them are spyro so were they to play on playstation two yeah right okay that's fair enough. one of them one of them my uh my brother gave me um my in fact two of them my brother gave me he gave me final fantasy six which was very kind of him. And mm. also, my well, I mean, both of them were very kind of him. Uh, and Martian Gothic? Nope. We'll talk about it in another episode. Well, out of those five games that you had then, if the other three are Spyro and one's Final Fantasy VI, I had four of those five games. What a coincidence? Hmm. Not a coincidence, really, given that one of them was Final Fantasy and three of them were Spyro. Yeah, yeah. All right, fair. Uh, obviously, Metal Gear Solid is a Hideo Kojima joint. Yes. And I think this is possibly one of the reasons that I've never gelled with the series because Hideo Kojima has a very um, idiosyncratic way about him and it manifests in what is, to other people, humorous engagements. Yeah, quirk. Yeah, he's got a lot of quirk. And that's all through Metal Gear Solid and I just never got it. Yeah, it's alienating, I find. Mm. I also feel like the controls are a little bit strange. Like they feel, if you always feel a bit floaty in in a Metal Gear Solid game, or I do anyway. So especially the first one, disjointed from the world. Maybe it's just me. Uh, apparently, the development team tried to make it a it's a three D game, but you mm. play it almost like a two D game. So maybe that's where your the disjoint for you came from because of that playing what they designed to be a two D game within a three D world. 
Perhaps, but I'm talking about all of the Metal Gear Solid oh, games. So, oh, okay, fair enough. As, just as a series. Even the most recent ones, the um, I can't remember what it's called, but the the one with the Fulton recovery system, Metal Gear Solid Five, I guess. Um, I haven't actually played the main game, but there was like a prequel that came out and that was then given away for free as part of PlayStation Plus. And even that one, it feels... As I say, it feels floaty. It feels like you're a character moving through a game as opposed oh. to a person moving through a world. Well, the word for Hideo Kojima that used on Wikipedia is they've referred to him as an auteur, which uh, I'm not sure I completely, yep. you know, it, yeah, I guess. Why not? Which, yes, I, I can see why he's called that. I personally, like you said, I find his games quite impenetrable. But you enjoy them nonetheless. Well, the first Metal Gear Solid, this one we're talking about tonight, mm. I think is brilliant, or I thought it's brilliant. I haven't played it for nearly 20 years. I then got Zone of the Enders, which is the one where yeah. you control big, big mech robots. Mechs. That was mm. really fun. And then I found Metal Gear Solid 2 quite uninteresting. I wasn't very inspired mm. by it at all and persevered through it. And then Metal Gear Solid 3 I gave up on and I haven't visited a single Hideo Kojima game since mostly because of not mostly partially because of lack of hardware that is able to play them but mm. i just don't have any interest at all and that maybe the reason i was being a bit sniffed about the word auto is because he then his games tend to attract a lot of hype just because it's a hideo kushima yeah. game i feel rather than actually be able to be judged on the merits of it being an actual game and therefore because it's a game by him it must be amazing i think but again there ironically is... that might be being me being a bit sniffy about that i don't know no i i think Maybe you are being sniffy. There is reason to dislike the use of the word auteur. For me, it's because it's borrowing terminology from film. And that is something that the games industry, or, or particularly the fandom around games, tends to do, I think, a little bit too much. This this medium has the potential to be its own thing, and oftentimes is its own thing. So to only aspire to be what film already is and to build, to rebuild the structures that are within the film industry just feels a little bit uninspired to me. Yeah. So so talking about games in the same terms as films is just a bit, well, ironically, I'm going to say lazy, but that is a, quite a lazy way to engage with <laughs> with what it actually is but we don't have time to go into it again that's another uh, it's a whole another podcast suffice to say auto is not a necessarily a, a word that belongs to the games industry at the same time if anyone were an author in this domain i think hideo kojima would have one of the best claims to it so yeah. there you go yep yep yep, yep. i don't, didn't know how to segue with that so we're uh, all segue alert <laughs> Uh, the game is de- the game is developed by Konami, whom we have sampled games from previously. That's a really terrible sentence. Uh, Castlevania is obviously a, a Konami game. Silent Hill, mm. Contra. They also did lots of side-scrolling games. The Simpsons Arcade we did way back in episode seven, I think. Yeah, Konami is uh, obviously there's the history with Hideo Kojima and Konami as well uh, and around uh, PT, which was going to be the new Silent Hill game or Silent Hills game with Norman Reedus. Are you aware of that? You're looking a bit glazed no, no, when I say yeah, that. Yeah. Konami are a funny entity these days because they uh, seem, uh, or for a long, long time, in fact, they seem to be more interested in uh, their pachinko and gambling um, output as opposed to their game franchises that they own. They, a lot of a lot of their games existed primarily as pachinko machines in recent years right um on top of that the most recent thing that they've put out is e-football have you heard about e-football um, i'm Pez. i'm vaguely aware of the the buzz that's been around this in the last week or so but as or it, as lack it's, thereof yeah as it's been a football game i just know there's a buzz about it but i, I don't know anything more because i have zero interest Okay, well, they've made Pez, which is uh, the rival, the uh, long-standing rival to FIFA. Probably they've made, soccer. Yeah, no, they've made that. it into a a service game, a game as a service. Um, it's free to play, and you, I, I presume that there's monetization in there. But from the look of things, they've either released it in a hurry, or they've just put together a shonky product. I, I don't know which one it is. 
um, or, or both, maybe. I don't know. Right. They'll probably fix it as they go. But uh, it's looking not great. And that does kind of smell a little bit of Konami, the current iteration of, of Konami and what they are and how they see themselves. Right. There's actually been rumours this week. I'd already decided we are going to do this this week anyway, but there's been a few rumours about Konami potentially reviving Metal Gear Solid, including a remake of Metal Gear Solid 3. So, right. that's, so that's in the ether at the moment as well. Yeah, and uh, that was alongside a bunch of other remakes and remasters, wasn't it? Because yeah. they were, I think there was a quote that was floating around that was from some kind of internal messaging in Konami that was basically saying, oh, we want to get back into making quality things and innovating or something like that. And then underneath it, it listed a series of remakes and remasters that they were uh, proposing in order to become innovative. Right. Uh, yeah, so... I don't know. They're in a funny place. If you've listened this far and uh, have a good Metal Gear Solid, it is well done. If if you don't know what Metal Gear Solid is, uh, my precise, precise, how do you pronounce that word? Precy. So neither of the options I said. Say it again. Precy. Thank you. My precy of the game is that you play as Solid Snake, who is a soldier who must use stealth to sneak around a nuclear weapons facility on Shadow Moses Island to stop foxhounds who are a group of terrorists and free hostages as you go through with lots of nuclear and cold war paranoia themes running throughout the whole thing you make it sound you make it sound quite straightforward but this is a bit zany the way the actual implementation of it the execution of it becomes quite zany and confusing as well am i right in thinking that there are multiple snakes in this series there is liquid snake and solid snake and all that lot yeah, so well, my my bullet point for the about the plot is I've put absolute nonsense are my two words to describe yeah. it. The and, so in, and in, on top of that, there is a, a layer of confusion because of the naming of the characters and yeah, the, uh, there was yeah yeah. So from okay. I could vaguely remember some bits of it from playing this quite a lot and then Metal Gear Solid Two and some bits of I had to kind of research to to clarify, but it's. The antagonist of this game is called Liquid Snake, as opposed to Solid Snake is the protagonist who you play as. Uh, it turns out that he is the twin brother of Solid Snake as you play through the game, and they are both clones of Big Boss, who is a legendary mercenary. Yeah, Big Boss. Yeah, Ugh. and and it, it's all to do with that, that this this whole... It, kind of not dissimilar uh, to elements of the plot of Final Fantasy VII with this whole cloning element there. But mm, yeah. I, I just... That was... In Metal Gear Solid 2, when that weirdness started coming to the fore quite a lot more, that's when I started tuning out. There, there's, do you say, have you played Metal Gear Solid 2 at all? Yeah. Yeah, with, uh, what's his face, Raiden. Yeah. Do you remember Revolver Ocelot's arm? No. But so, just, just say that Just say that again. Just right. say that again. Do you, do remember, you remember Revolver Ocelot's arm? Revolver Ocelot. All the, all the baddies... Revolver Ocelot. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, completely. All Ugh. the baddies, all the, the big bosses, I guess, not not the big boss, or the big bosses in this game, but yeah. not, not the character big boss, are all named after where you've got a, it's a binomial name, I guess, where you've got one name is the kind of some sort of clar- clarity about them, their character, and then the second word is always an animal. So there's Vulcan, Raven, and Psycho Mantis, and Revolver Ocelot, etc. Sniper mm. Wolf. I remember that being a very good battle as well. And that's one thing this game does have in its favour is boss battles. Anyway, uh, Revolver Ocelot gets his arm cut off during this game, I believe. And mm. I think at the start of Metal Gear Solid 2, at some point between the two games, Liquid Snake, so the protagonist, the baddie of this game, Revolver Ocelot has had Liquid Snake's arm grafted onto his. And during Metal Gear Solid 2, there are times where Liquid Snake's character takes over Revolver Ocelot and he becomes this hybrid where it's Liquid Snake's talking through him. It just, just, it is baffling. Yeah, it is baffling. Look at how surprised I am. I don't remember any of that. I, yeah, I just don't remember. But then I didn't really engage with it because it was just so absurd. Yeah. The thing is, I like absurdism. I like things to go a slightly zany route, but... It was just so impenetrable. Did you say that earlier? Yeah, I did. About it being an impenetrable, and I would I would add mess. Yeah. The only reason I can remember it is because I was trying to think of 
it's almost like jump the shark moments. And for me, it was that bit where Evolve Roslot's arm took him over in Liquid Snake. As you said, as I said earlier, impenetrable, but it just, I can buy the game being about a soldier exploring this island as terrorists. I can buy the fact that there's this giant mech, Metal Gear, who is this giant mech that you fight right at the end of the game. I can buy these zany, weird characters like Vulcan Raven has this enormous gun mounted on his back that he shoots at you with. I get all that. That that's fine. That's I can believe in that. When there's an arm that's taking over a character, things like that, I just, I just, I, I that's where that's where my belief ends. Conceptually, I can accept anything. Like genuinely, I can accept anything. And in in fact, there is an example which I'm sure you have probably watched and enjoyed of arms taking over or having minds of their own in in the form of Evil Dead, where it's executed in a way that it, it works. Like it works inside the construction of the of the film. Or there's I have no the, body. The I problem... think it's called cartoon on Netflix. You seen that? No, I haven't. French cartoon about a man whose arm gets severed from his from his his hands or gets severed from his arm, and then it follows the the arm as it crawls around, and and it, it it's brilliant, it's really good. But then it it then you then discover it's all been a bit of a metaphor for the guy's life. It's it's very very clever. I'd highly recommend it. Okay, but. it's got nothing to do with how bombastic or well, it's got something to do with how bombastic the execution is, but it's got nothing to do with how out there any of it is. I I can I, I can take and enjoy out there. It it, do, it just doesn't hit me. It doesn't hit me yeah. where it's supposed to hit me. It doesn't hit me. I, I don't engage. I just don't find myself wanting to engage with it even. And that is the case across basically all of the Hideo Kojima stuff that I've played. The, with the one exception of uh, the uh, Silent Hill or Silent Hills demo, PT. PT was a completely different kettle of fish when it comes to Hideo Kojima things and was was really really well made and really well considered and didn't have any of that stuff that people would recognize mm. as quintessentially Hideo Kojima so I think, I think for me it's that lots of the game and the way it's built I've said it's a, a stealth game seeking this island it's built as being very serious down the line almost a bit po-faced at times and then you have that seriousness juxtapose horribly juxtapose with, the, with the all manicness this, yeah yeah and that for me that was that disconnect i just couldn't get over that and just couldn't get it's on, also on there's also an element of and your explanation of the naming system that he has uh, kind of speaks to this everything just feels thrown together in a slightly haphazard way and it was it was evident as well when death stranding was being teased and we had all these shots of strange things such as the baby in the in the jar mm. and it's almost like he he's just he's one of those people that's gone into the room with the whiteboard and written down every single idea and not thrown away any of them and just somehow tried to make them work and that is how i feel the metal gear solid games are that's how they come across to me anyway a baby in a jar no well that's death, death yeah, stranding I, I know i know yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's it, that all the ideas, all no, no cutting. There are no cuts. There can't be a director's cut of a Hideo Kojima game, even though one just came out uh, in the form of Death Stranding. But there can't be a Death Stranding director's cut or a Metal Gear Solid director's cut because they there is nothing ever ever cut. It's all of the ideas are already there. Mm. When I was doing my list of quirky things to do with the game or memorable moments, I guess. So obviously I mentioned the, the free sound back of the CD case right at the start of the episode. For anyone who's not sure what that reference is, you use a device called the codex throughout the game. It's basically like a radio where you tune in and you get different frequencies to talk to different characters. So there's, and you can use them for, uh, to ask for help, to ask for advice, uh, it's used a lot for story, exposition, things like that. As you talk to different characters, like the guy who sent you on the, the mission, um, supports, uh, staff, things like that. There's one character you have to speak to fairly early on. We'll probably get to that point tonight, I'd imagine, because I think it happens in the first half an hour or so. And you have to contact a character called Merrill, I think. And you're told that the frequency to dial her on the codec is on the back of the CD case. And what it meant, what it means, is that physically the, the copy of the game and the fact that it's a CD case, actually it's a not a CD case, but because it's a game, but you know what I mean. It's physically on the back of the game box or 
container, plastic container, whatever. There's a there's a screenshot of Snake and Meryl having a conversation, and the codec frequency number is in the middle, one four zero point something, I think. And it's that the idea is that because you've been told in the game, it's on the back of the CD case. The idea is that then the player will then realise that it's that it's it's literally address it's breaking that fourth wall, as I said. Mm. I remember thinking at the time that was really clever, but but f- feeling a bit cheated because it was taking me out of the reality of the game. I like. I think it's more clever than. I, I'm surprised you felt cheated. Yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to articulate how I felt as a 13, 14 year old player. I just, I, it, it didn't sit right, and I, I can't quite explain why. I, I know what you're trying to say. Are you, you're saying that you wanted everything to happen inside the game, and yeah. being pulled out of it made you. But then that's what breaking the fourth wall is supposed to be. It's oh, supposed, completely. It was yeah. supposed to uh, achieve. It's supposed to sort of make you consider the relationship between you and what it is. And then by contrast, there are other elements where they break the fourth wall that I absolutely loved. Do, do you remember the Psycho Mantis battle, for example? Or one of them, I think there's two. Is that, does, he, does he talk to you, the player? So he talks to you as the player. He does a thing where if on your memory card you have saves from other Konami games, he references them. So, for example, if you have a Castlevania slot, he'll make some comments about it. If you get to that point, it is fairly later on in the game. If you get to that point and you're not playing off a memory card, you've actually just played through the whole game, he says that he can't read your memory, something like that. But he also does the thing with the, the control of the Dual Shock where he can actually put it on the floor and he will physically make the controller vibrate and make it move left and right around the floor. And I remember thinking that was really bloody cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't have any problems again with with that. It's just the game in general. Yeah. It, it's not the game. It's not the game in general. It's the it's the Hideo Kojima-ness of it. That's what it is. We keep talking about it as being a game and Metal Gear Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 3. Actually, this is the third game in the series, Metal Gear Solid. There were two that came yeah. out for it prior to this. No, I mean, no, there was Metal Gear and there was on the yeah. NES. Well, yeah, the, but this is the first Metal Gear Solid, so. It's very confusing because of naming and, and things. So basically, there were two games, one of which was titled Metal Gear Solid in some territories. Was it? Yeah. I was not aware of that. There we go. So it had one name in this place, one name in this territory, and then the second game was released in some territories, but not released in other territories. So basically, this was just a way to wipe the slate clean. Even though Solid Snake is the character that appears in those previous two games, it's a, a clean slate for the series going forward. So they wanted to call it Metal Gear Metal Gear Solid just to kind of say, right, this is it. We're, we're making a, we're meaning starting to, to go on with, with this. So yeah, there yeah. were, there were two games prior to this. I've not, not played either of them. Have you? Um, I've played the, uh, well, I've played Metal Gear on the NES. Oh, actually, you might be right. Sorry. I said it was called Metal Gear Solid. You might be right. It's called Metal Gear. Right? I stand corrected. But, um, yeah, you, you get the gist of what I'm saying. Well, you right? said that it's, it's called Metal Gear Solid in some territories is what you said. I th- no, I think I miss, I think you're right. It's called Metal Gear in some territories. And this was uh, a, a reset for the series as a whole. Yeah. It's the first Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. So I'm phrasing that very badly. Development for this, despite releasing September 1998, development began in mid-1995, which I was quite surprised about, with a team of 20 people. It was first shown at the 1996 Tokyo Game Show and had a, a big buzz around it from that and sort of snowballed to when it when it released being massive. It had 7 million copies sold, has 94% rating on Metacritic, and has the title of being one of the most rented games ever in America. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, Snake himself had his body, was based on Jean-Claude Van Damme and his face is based on Christopher Walken. I personally don't what? see the Christopher Walken resemblance at all. I'd always assume you said about him being named after Kurt Russell. I always assumed that he, the whole of him was a Kurt Russell reference of some kind. Yeah, I that to me seems a lot clearer than Christopher Walken. He doesn't look anything like Christopher Walken. No. <laughs> I don't really understand that at all. No. Never mind. Can you remember anything about the the gameplay itself then? Obviously, so it's stealth. Do you remember how the radar works? I remember that if they... That I remember that the enemies have cones, of vis- like visual cones. So if you step into their visual cone they will see you and then they will the alarm will go off and they will try and find you you can hide from them and if you can hide from them then there is a cool down clock that then kicks in and if you can stay hidden for that period of time they will stop looking for you and return back to their positions you can also knock i believe this might be conflating more than one game but you can knock on surfaces to try and bring them over to you i think that was that two. number two onwards yeah. yeah i thought it might be number two but yeah it's, it's 
it's sneaking around, sh- shooting people quietly, if you're going to do it at all. Mm. I think, again, this might be conflating a couple of the titles, but you can strangle them as well, possibly with a, some kind of garrote. I think that's well, that might as be well. Hitman. That might <laughs> Maybe, be yeah. That might be Hitman. There you go. Yeah. You can definitely do it in Hitman. Yeah. That's another thing. I prefer Hitman. I might be a heathen for, for saying that, but when we're talking... I don't, I don't know if I am. It's a very good series. When we're talking stealth games and sneaking about hitman's very very good i i just prefer what's going on in there the, the idea of like these little puzzle box levels where you've got to figure out the best way or one of many ways all the different ways that you can kill off one of the people in that level i like that as a as an execution of stealth gaming yeah this is a lot more linear than that it's more linear and it's also i don't like the franticness necessarily of of the being found i don't like the alert noise that very shrill yeah and the the exclamation mark above their head yeah the whole thing seems to be set up to produce anxiety which is fair enough but not for me the music specifically was designed to alert the player and to really create like a a real sense of of shock in them with use of strings and an orchestra uh, within that so yeah do you remember the cardboard box well I, i don't remember the cardboard box but i do know what the cardboard box is the fact that you can hide in a cardboard box and sneak around because that is referenced in all of the media around Metal Gear Solid it it often finds itself into the trailers so if you've been watching E3 at all in the last 10 years where Metal Gear Solid has been announced in one form or another invariably it will be with him in a box obviously in Smash Brothers he was in a box and and actually in Smash Brothers he one of his moves I believe is to be able to hide in a box that is the sort of thing that I can understand why people will be like, ha ha, yeah, that's funny. But it just went way, either went over my head or hit me and landed with a dull thud at my feet. I don't know which one. <laughs> wow, boom, brutal. I can remember the, the guards that it's just a box. I can remember that perfectly. Probably, probably better than how I just impersonated it, but there you go. And then you can sit in your bedroom going, <laughs> yep, completely. Behind your hand while they walk away. Yep. So funny. So clever. What's your view of the box? You, you've asked me about the box. I've told you very uh, clearly. I really liked it. I thought it was great. I, Did you? I thought there we sneaking go. around in, in the box and then when their cone on the radar would then spin around to face you and then just stop it to move. So then just stop it moving. So they then walk up to it and go, it's just a box. I love that. Yeah. Because it was the, the stealth. Yeah. It happened, it's been done in other games and it's oftentimes the, my least favourite part of games. So it happens in... Wind Waker in the uh, in the fortress at the beginning, you hide in a barrel and you have to sneak past the searchlights. And I just think that's one of the most boring, annoying actually bits of the game. It slows you down in a way that I don't particularly enjoy. I can't remember the execution of the box in this, so maybe it's really amazing, and I'm gonna have a revelation if we get to it. I think it was one of those where you equipped it, and a bit like in GTA Three. By City San Andreas and GTA 4 as well, where suddenly, you know, if you were equipped a rocket launch and suddenly out of the character's pockets, this massive rocket launch would appear. It was the same yeah. in Metal Gear Solid, where you'd, you'd yeah, equip the cardboard box and suddenly Snake would be crouching inside a cardboard box that's materialized around him. But, mm, right. You know, a game is a game. It's the limitation of the game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, no problem with no. the execution that games tend to have. No, no problem with rocket launchers coming out of pockets. No problem with boxes being kept. The the whole adventure game infinite pocket thing. Yeah. Great. Love it. I yeah. love the fact that it became a, a joke in other adventure games. It's, it's all part of gaming. It's fine. It's a convenience thing. There's nothing nothing wrong with it. Shall we crack open the box there and see if it is just a box or if there's something more to it than that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so I'm looking. I'm so looking. I'm looking forward to this. Am I convincing? Yay! No, not at all. <laughs> no. Okay. I might. I might spend the time looking at restaurants instead. Chris? Yep. Chris? Chris! Brilliant. Wasn't expecting that. <sighs> I didn't you... even want to do it. I didn't <laughs> want to do it. I don't, I didn't, I don't like that bit of the game. It's cliche. Yeah. Well, it, that's the point. So I can give it that. It's fine. I, 
I think I said in the first half, I don't mind any... I don't mind games doing all that. It's just that Hideo Kojima does it in a way that just doesn't... It grates on me. It grinds against me rather than allowing me to get on board the train. Perfect example. I was going to save this for later, but the perfect example of that that I came across very early on in the game, Alaskan Field Mice. Yeah. Yeah. Crawling through a vent far too slow fence far too long i get interrupted in that activity to be treated to a much 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 too long piece of exposition about which basically boiled down to follow the mice yep but it spent a good 10 15 lines telling me about alaskan field mice and how they're genetically something or other i don't know i just thought this is this is why this is one of the things that i think drove me nuts about it just completely unnecessary just unnecessariness because you're wanting to play stealthy stealthy with a bit of shoot shooty and then suddenly you're finding out about alaskan field mice males that kill and eat the sons of other alaskan field mice in order to prolong their own genes and lineage yeah it kind of feels like proto edgelordness doesn't it (laughs) yeah the presentation of this game the color palette the unnecessary exposition on alaskan field mice and their brutality and all that nonsense it's all kojima it's all very it, that that is his signature you know the 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 needless the needless detail do you remember dan brown and yep. the all of them books that he wrote and i i i quite enjoyed reading the first yeah. two that i read they're, they're I one of my enjoy them they're one of my guilty pleasures i really like them because they're yeah, there we go utterly brainless but they, that's fine that is the thing but he was he was always criticized for overwriting like i can't remember what it was but like the red cup oh the famous man looks the, the red the, cup say again the famous man looked at the red cup yeah something like that yeah like uh, just absurd unnecessary detail and it feels like kojima instead of being lambasted for that instead of being ridiculed for that like dan brown was everyone's gone oh he's an auteur be an and part of his signature is the dan brownie completely mm. uh, unnecessary details so yeah uh, i don't understand it there you go no, that's fair you said that you have come out of this with more negatives than positives yeah hmm. it's weird because i actually have more positives than negatives but maybe that's just because i banged out a little bit earlier than you i was getting very frustrated with the gameplay loop or lack of gameplay therein that i felt like i was playing a brief snippet of gameplay punctuated by or followed by a long codec conversation and then a little bit of gameplay gameplay then it'd be another codec conversation or a cutscene and then another codec conversation and then a cutscene and a little bit more gameplay i felt like i had very little control over what actually happens in the bit of game i've played this evening yeah the that occurred to me as i was playing as well i felt like i spent a lot of time out of control of of what is called the game that goes hand in hand with a few other bits such as the fact that the presentation of it is very cinematic very cinematic Mm. and in order i think to be cinematic you have to be able to orchestrate things especially camera movements and shots and uh, framing and such all of that was there like it was really cinematic that is also possibly one of the reasons that people talk about Kojima the way that they do talk about him as an auteur. They're, they're borrowing film language because he is trying to, he is in in a lot of ways, or he was at this point at the very least, aping uh, the techniques of cinema. Yeah. It does make sense because they're both visual mediums. But at the same time, we get here a very good example of why it's not great for a, for a game to do that in at least some ways, because it, in order to have that control over the visual, you have to take that control away from the player. And a game that does that isn't necessarily the most fun game a lot of the time. You, you, described, told. you described it as we we're kind of concluding our playthrough tonight as an interactive novel. That's pretty much how I feel about it. That the, the big gameplay I played, I, I did quite enjoy, but I just didn't have enough of it. And to give it the benefit of doubt, maybe past the point we've got to maybe there, there is more of that and exploring the base is I, I remember big chunks of that i'm really enjoying that but is that again maybe the rose tinted glasses i might remember in the gameplay and not for, and forgetting all these massive 
sections of exposition and, and dialogue that are just filling in the, the, the blanks in the story. Oftentimes, or sometimes anyway, things to do with the story that I wasn't really interested in and didn't feel like I, I personally wanted to know, but I was being forced to find out. Yeah, it is a it's a visual novel with action in between. Just like little action mini game sort of things, I guess. Yeah. I uh, and maybe that's one of the reasons that I don't like it because I'm not massively into even though I again it's a genre that I've really tried partly because of Danganronpa if you know Danganronpa I really wanted to like those games but I could never get into them. So coming back and finding that this has that element that I had had forgotten to be honest I thought it was more actiony than it actually is. Yeah. I didn't realize there was a lot of exposition over the codec. Coming back and finding that made me even less enamored by it. And maybe that in the, in the day was why I didn't like it. One of the sessions while developing was that they wanted to not necessarily ape, but maybe pay homage to uh, James Bond. And The Great Escape was something that they, they really wanted to have that feel of the the, the camp, etc. Uh, d- during the credit conversations, there was a character called Mei Ling, and there was some and there was also uh, a British woman. I didn't catch what her name was. I can't quite remember. And there was some really horrible conversation between them that was in the style of James Bond's, this overt flirty, aggressive flirting. I didn't like that. Yeah, a bit, a bit of the old strip searching stuff. Um, oh, it yeah. was, a, it was a bit of a back and forth, and it kind of went over my head. But I can understand why. Maybe, I, like, I'm not saying that it was up my alley. It's, it wasn't. I, and and frankly, I, I wasn't surprised. I said to you, didn't I? I wasn't surprised that it was in there because Kojima's got a record on that kind of mm. presentation of, of women. Most recently was with the character Quiet in the latest uh, Metal Gear Solid. That There's quite a big backlash because she is a sniper who just wears a bikini, basically. And when everyone kicked off about it... Did, are you aware of this? You, did you follow this when this was happening? Uh, it, it, it sounds familiar, but obviously mm. at this point in... Yeah, when this was happening, my interest in Metal Gear was at yeah, zero. Yeah, mine, mine so. too, yeah. Um, she she was in a bikini and everyone well not everyone but there was a bit of a a bit of a like what is going on here before the game came out when she was introduced as a character oh she was also mute hence the name quiet, quiet. so it was it was a scantily clad lady that wouldn't get the opportunity to speak in the game um and people were rightly i would say questioning the presentation of this woman in this game. Sure, um, that's going to make Kojima the game came out. The, uh, the vegetable test, just based on the well, fact yeah, she can't yeah, talk. exactly. Um, Kojima came out and said, oh yeah, no, no need to worry, don't worry about it. There is a very good reason that she is dressed the way she's dressed. And I think he also said about her being mute, there's a very good story-driven reason. And then I believe when the game came out, the reason that she didn't have clothes on or didn't have very many clothes on was because she needed sunlight on her skin in order to overcome some kind of condition that she had. And there was no real link between that and the story as I as I understand it. And really, it seems that the the condition was more an explanation uh, more an excuse for her being nude, uh, semi-nude uh, than the necessary. There was no real necessity. She she might as well have had clothes on. Well, no, the, um, the, the reason she was like that was, was pure titillation, let's be honest. Yeah, and um, it, it's a it's, a, it's kind of a thing in um, in some Japanese media, even even sort of in shonen uh, anime, uh, you, you tend to get this... Uh, male gaze that is quite oftentimes at least to my sensibilities let me not speak for for everyone or on everyone's behalf but um to my sensibilities the male gaze is very strong in a lot of in a lot of the japanese media that i have experienced and and this is a good example of it yeah and kojima has in various different uh, ways being a good example of that mm-hmm. very strong male gaze so yeah short short the short part uh, the short way to say that not a surprise no fair enough awkward segue alert for a game build as being all about stealth there was no option to walk which was really bizarre so mm. snake is or sneak ha- yeah 
So snake in any to, way, snake has to run everywhere. And I spent a long time with the controls thinking, well, there must be some, if you hold a button down and then press a direction, he must walk. Because mm. the very first area you're in, which I could remember absolutely crystal clear, in that first mm. area there's puddles and you go through them and then the splashing and then trust the guards, which is great. It's using the environment in, in a way and it's it's basically a, a tr- an introductory training type level. But to not be able to sneak around by walking seems like a pretty big oversight, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what else. I don't, I can't really add to that, but no. it's strange. I am just trying to think while, uh, and sort of buying myself some time to think about the subsequent games and whether you were able to walk or be more quiet in ways that didn't involve you climb, uh, crawling around on the floor. But I, I can't remember. Can you? I would no. guess that the analog, the introduction of analog sticks meant that you could move slower and, and therefore more quietly. Presumably. Yeah, I, I can't remember that level of detail. We did discover though that you mentioned the first half of our about being able to lean against walls and knock and that is a feature in this one so that was a, yeah. mm, a nice surprise mm. we both ended up as well basically just watching the map and using the, the radar on the top right corner to play the game and then the game does yeah. become essentially 2d i'm not sure how i felt about that i mean i understand the radar is there for the gameplay to benefit the gameplay but the fact i then ends up just watching that and basically controlling a dot around a, a green semi-transparent screen in the top corner of the the, the main game didn't really uh didn't really land right with me no i found it quite interesting to be honest that that was the case i think thinking about it now the reason that was happening was because there's more useful information being presented on that map than there is actually in the 3d representation of of the game and maybe that imbalance was again you said about the fact you can't move a little bit slower uh, and more silently as an oversight maybe that's an oversight and maybe that's again something that has been addressed in later games i'm not really sure i, don't, I can't really remember i don't even remember a map being in the uh, in the later games i don't understand how you get around it because the radar is such a a, a key part of the game that is what you use to, to to get the information and understand what's going on around you so you just end up watching it it might have been smarter or cleverer to present the game in that minimalist style i wonder if anyone's actually done that i know that there are stealth games that uh, are far more stripped back than this is in terms of presentation the presentation of the map reminds me of those vertex mm. vertex yeah of those vertex games you know like the tank mm. where it's just green green lines or red lines or or whatever on a black background Things like Elite, you know, where it's super minimalist. Yeah, sort of wireframe presentation. I could imagine a stealth game presented that way actually doing very well because really that's all you need. I'm sure. I'm just trying to think while you're talking. I'm sure there's been a stealth game that's like that, but I can't I can't think of... I, I might have... Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure it's happened. Maybe, it wouldn't surprise me if it has. Maybe if listeners know, they can let us know through our social media because uh, I really think that has happened. Yeah, I, it speaks again... I. I kind of like it was happening sort of over the last decade or so. There was a a push for minimalism in games. There were things like real-time strategies uh, coming out that were, I can't remember the name of it. I think it was Euphoria. There was a game called Euphoria, which was basically a real-time strategy, if I remember correctly, that was based around flowers and flower seeds. And you had to you had to grow your flower seeds on the flower heads and then send them on the wind or something like that to other flower seeds to then uh, colonize the area, uh, a new area and, and take over the map. But it was, it was an RTS with all the elements that are familiar from RTSs, but just condensed down into its most necessary elements and most, uh, and the most minimal graphic, graphical representation that they could come up uh, come up with similarly with mini metro um mm. that's another good example of a of a game condensed down uh, graphically but with every with all the elements necessary for that game type there there have been a slew of them just a, an absolute movement actually um that started probably when we were working together about 2009 2010 mm. Which is why I'm sure a, a stealth game has been done in that style. That though, it, it really it asks a lot of questions of games like this that put so much into their into their cinematic style, into their into their visual style. It asks so much of them because if you and I are actually playing this game by looking primarily at the at the two D wireframe map, well, what's the point of the rest of it? Yeah, absolutely. 
what is the point of the rest of it? I have no idea, so I'm going to assume that's a rhetorical question, or I'm going to take it as a rhetorical question. It's rhetoric. It is rhetorical. In in it is rhetorical, but it is very very pertinent. And I I do wish, and actually I do think as well that in the last twenty odd years, designers have been asking that question of themselves more and more. The movement to 3D in a lot of ways was it, it just it opened the sluice gates. Is that the right one? Open the floodgates flood gates. for. Yeah, open the floodgates for people's bombast to to get to go on full show, and you ended up with slight, uh, like massively inflated light shows for for want of a better uh, way to put it. But Whereas people have really start to question now whether whether that's necessary. And the kind of game I think you're kind of reach for is something like Thomas was alone, which I, I personally wasn't that keen on. But Thomas was alone is all about minimalism and shapes, and then those yeah. shapes are then given characteristics and personalities, which mm. is is quite good. Yeah, there was a, a period, uh, sort of mid to late nineties into the noughties, where the idea of making a two D game, even even just making a two D game, was just totally out of the window. Yeah. And then I suppose it was really the driving force was the the I would call it a revival because there were there have been prior in independent or um sort of hobbyist movements in in gaming. So yeah, let's just say the revival of independent gaming or or, or the upsurge in professional indie development. Yeah. Maybe that has been the driving force behind behind that question behind people people asking well how much do you actually need to make a really engaging good game it's a question that kojima never asks himself and probably should (laughs) well on that note about engaging good games i thought the voice acting was tremendous in this yes the voice the voice acting was brilliant uh, the snake himself is voiced by david hater who i'm assuming that's correct h-a-y-t-e-r he's a voice artist but also i discovered a writer and he helped write the scripts for films including x-men x-men 2 and watchmen mm. as you know it's already yes ah sorry it's all right well that's okay other people might not have known that yeah, um, well he lost his job did he is that right no i, so I don't know that. he didn't uh, from what i might have this wrong so i'm probably gonna have to check but i will say it with authority right now in case i am Right. But I believe that he wasn't Snake in Metal Gear Solid Five. Right. I think it was something like who was that guy in twenty four? Keith Sutherland. I think Kiefer Sutherland voiced Snake. Yeah, so checking on that, I thought I thought that was the case and it does seem to be the case. I, I am doubting myself somewhat. I'm not gonna bother looking. So again, this is one of those things that if people know uh what the ins and outs are, let us know on wherever. But it, it could well be that it was all sort of part of this weird um, ARG thing that is Hideo Kojima's life and work, whereby he announces the news that David Hayter has been replaced by Kiefer Sutherland, and then somehow David Hayter is, in some meta way, still Solid Snake, but actually Kiefer Sutherland is voicing him, but David Hayter is what? It, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It, that might have that might have been the case from what I know of the new, what I saw in the news, Kiefer Sutherland was pl- the replacement of of uh, David Hayter. Well, that's a shame because he did a blooming fine job in this game. Yeah, that is uh, another one of the positives that I've got on my list. Yeah, that they they done a good job on that front. I think you've used the word uh, cinematic or, or or atmospheric. I think during this this um, cinematic. Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked the opening cutscene animation, whatever you call it, where it's about the submarine, and I thought it was really well done. And I really liked how there was an effect on, so it looked like you were looking at the submarine through water, and it was all wavy. I thought mm. it was really mm. clever. Yep, yeah, it looked nice. It's a nice introduction to the game, as you say, and it, it, it's stylish and cinematic. It's very Bond as the way he's, he's going in the, sub- yeah, in the submarine is, yeah. and then he comes out of the submersible yeah. in, in the water and he comes out. I'll, I'll tell you what, you've said about him being inspired by Bond um, yeah. a couple of times now. And from what I know, and it's not a massive amount about Kojima, but a lot of his references or a lot of his inspirations are actually Western IPs. I know I might have this completely wrong, but I believe I'm sure that that's the case. I, I think if when you, when he's spoken in interviews, a lot of the time it's, it's things from America and Hollywood well, the, and the, the, and the, the UK. That, that Solid Snake is named after a character from Escape from New York. Uh, yeah, precisely. That kind of thing. And it, it runs through all of his work. But at the same time, what, what boggles me or what 
strikes me is that for a man who says that, his work just feels very, very Japanese. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's it, that is an interesting aspect of it all, I think, because it, it's sort of seeing those things that we are familiar with as citizens of the UK, a.k.a. the 51st state of America. Um, seeing those things through... Through a, a Japanese lens or through Hideo Kojima's lens. Yeah, that's that's always quite interesting. Well, the, the point I was going to say was that when you play through the game multiple times, I can't quite remember the ins and outs of it and the nuances, but on every third playthrough and every multiple of three therein, you, uh, when Snake is in the lift and he takes off his uh, scuba gear, he is wearing a tuxedo. Oh, really? Yeah, and then you play what? through the whole game with him wearing a tuxedo. On every third playthrough? Yeah, so... If you play it the sixth, the sixth time, the ninth time, etc. Apparently, mm. I I definitely remember playing through it with a tuxedo. I also vaguely remember there being some sort of ninja suit as well, which I think was every fifth time. But I couldn't find anything to corroborate that, so I'm okay. maybe misremembering that. I honestly can't imagine playing through a game <laughs> three times, let alone six times or five. Oh, I, I uh, played through days. a lot more than three times. Yeah, I just don't doesn't really it's not something that i do very often anymore replay games no i was i was absolutely hooked on this game uh, one last positive point before we sort of start wrapping up then is the fact you can save anywhere i think that's a massive positive we've played through a few playstation one games now and like resident evil was hampered or well obviously it was a a, a choice within the game to to have to limit your saving etc but this you could save anywhere was uh, was really useful yeah on the minus side of that you had to move your codec over to 0.96140.96 which is a there was a catalog you could automatically you could like a speed dial function well i never did not know that i I didn't know that in the back in the olden days and i didn't know that now so thank you learn something new every day all you did was just press down and there was a list of people you contacted never did it so uh, never did it they don't tell you that um, I think on the codex screen, I think it said something like log, and I just pressed down to select that, and it was there. Well, log. I always assumed that that was all just graphical interface. like Well, not even interface, just like a graphical ref- representation of the machine that is the codec. And the, the only the only arrows on there are the left and the right arrows next to the mm-hmm. button, uh, next to the numbers. Is that not... Nope. It brought up a little madness. contacts list of... Uh, of the, their codec numbers and, and who it was, and you just selected it and pressed dialed. It's probably in the instruction book, that one, isn't it? P- probably, yeah. Or, or on the back of the CD case, perhaps. Mm. So the lineage of Metal Gear after this, we talked about the, the sequels a little bit in the first half. Metal Gear Solid 2 came out in 2001. That was on the PlayStation 2 and was really trumpeted as kind of heralding the, the PlayStation 2's um, firepower i guess i remember yeah. there lots being made about the opening cinematic with the rain coming down and it was it looked really amazing yes it and all then, took place on an oil rig that was that one wasn't it yeah that well the, the first bit was it was it a, a, a ship like a cruise ship or something like that or a, a tanker ship there was it was definitely on, a, on some water anyway and then the the third one was metal Gear 3 2004 released uh which as we said wasn't great 2004 there was also a remake of metal gear solid called twin snakes which was released only on the gamecube in march 2004 yeah. and that had yeah, a few, I got that a few sort of tinkering about with and added content etc and then four was 2008 and five 2014 the game is also available on the playstation classic uh, there's lots of other titles as well like there's mobile games there's a tactical card rpg lots of spin-offs and things from it but yeah. it's the, the the main sequence of titles is those five games there's also mm. lots of other media for example a radio drama was made about metal gear solid based on this game which i thought was was interesting unique there's also been yeah. uh, figures toys comics novels and there is a film currently in production starring oscar isaacs as solid snake okay fine probably yeah. won't watch it hasn't there been an, there was an anime as well wasn't there there was some kind of animation I don't or know. I might have that wrong. I don't, maybe I've the, got that wrong. Maybe because the, the faces in the codec were quite anime. I did quite like that last part, actually. I thought they they looked quite quite pretty. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the animation. It was that kind of slightly janky mm. lip movements, but it worked. That yeah. worked, yeah, presentation-wise. So. 
Yeah, so cool. Metal Gear Solid, yeah. good game within there somewhere, I believe. Just we maybe struggled to excavate it fully for uh, analysing it today. I think. Yeah, I I don't feel comfortable writing it off. I don't. I would, yeah. you know, like I have been quite adamant about all the games, but I don't feel like this is necessarily a bad game. It's just that it's not right for me. I'm just not a very good fit for it. Samezies. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week for episode 83. Um, if you haven't already, come and join us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And remember to like, share, subscribe, rate, review. But goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.